Hi, I'm Ken. And I'm Dee. And this is Antiques Freaks. Non-stop party in the USA podcast. Hot dang. I know. <laughs> this week, we will be doing yet another question and answer section. I thought it was too soon to do one of these again, and then I checked the actual feed, and the last one was in July, so yeah. I think it's been long enough. <laughs> I think we're okay. We have gathered questions from the Antiques Freaks Friends Facebook group, and also from Tumblr. Ooh. We're there too. That's fun. Yes, it's still a website. Thriving, even. It's more fun than ever, actually. It's a delightfully strange little ecosystem over there, and I do love it so. It's wonderful. Come get in the little fish tank with us in Tumblr. Antiquesfreaks.tumblr.com Our first question comes from Ken, not me, a different Ken. (laughs) And Ken asks, what is the most obscure or most interesting blow mold you've ever seen in person? In person? Ken, do you have one? No. I'm not the mid-century guy. <laughs> you know this. Blow molds go a little older than that. I remember from our blow molds episode. I know the one that I was most excited to see in person was a small Dracula blow mold that made me like really happy. Oh, hell yeah. But I don't know if Halloween blow molds count as like obscure. But the Dracula ones are pretty rare. You don't see them very often. I don't think you will be graded harshly on the specific wording of this question. <laughs> Okay, all right. I think it's going to be okay if people have heard of a Dracula before. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, like, I want to get a good grade in blow mold spotting in the wild. So I saw the little Dracula. There is a big Dracula. I mean, I'll never be able to afford it. That's like several. Well, I don't want to say never, but it's like several thousand dollars. And frankly, we don't have several thousand dollars in the Dracula budget. Frankly. I also, once upon a time, a long time ago at one of the first Brimfields I went to, saw Myrtle the Beetle, a Halloween version. What is Myrtle the Beetle? I don't know why it's called a beetle. It looks sort of like something from the Moomins. Oh, it looks like a little Jim Henson creature. Yeah, like I don't, beetle, like very loosely, sure. But it, yeah, it does kind of look like a Finnish folklore creature. It looks like a friend-shaped thing from the Dark Crystal. Dark Crystal, yeah, it does look like a little Dark Crystal inhabitant. I love it. I am obsessed with them. I didn't think it was obscure because at the time you see any blow mold in like Halloween colors and you're like, I'm sure that's intentional. Um, But it, it, it turns out that there's like a lot of mystery behind the Myrtle the Beetle mold so starting with why is it called a beetle (laughs) why is it a beetle and why does it exist (laughs) it looks like that one fraggle who always has his hat over his eyes oh is that gobo fraggle or boober i don't know (laughs) i only know them by sight i don't know them by name we've never been introduced (laughs) never never you guys have never gotten close no (laughs) i've only glimpsed them across crowded rooms Another question from the Antiques Freaks Friends Facebook group comes from Brendan, who asks, what are you going to be buried with? And to that I say, Brendan, do you know something we don't? Yeah, hey, Brendan. (laughs) (laughs) Um, (laughs) Brendan, are you trying to tell us something? (laughs) I gotta check my doors, like, Brendan? (laughs) So do you going out like a pharaoh with everything and you in a pyramid? Yeah, you know, I'm not supposed to because I'm technically Catholic. That's never stopped anyone. I don't know. I guess I have sort of like an instinctual reaction to it, having been raised Catholic, but I want to, I do want to be like a pharaoh. And I want the most confusing thing possible with me. I think my stuffed Gengar. I don't know that that's confusing. It's very cute, but I don't think I would be confused. Ah, you're right. I just, I love him. But like, if I want, I want to be mysterious and royal, right? It is up to you, my dude. Literally, it's your funeral. (laughs) Oh, I've got it. I want every single scrap of 
junk jewelry. I'm sorry, that's offensive to people who enjoy costume jewelry. Yeah, frankly, how dare you apologize to the community. (laughs) I want every single scrap of costume jewelry and surgical supplies I have, and I want them just poured around me. (laughs) So, like, I'm lying in a bed of it, like, Snow White. Like one of those resin tables? (laughs) Yeah, yes. And people for ages will try to figure out, like, what is the connection between these two things? And was I perhaps a a priestess of some sort? I mean, yes, but also... (laughs) And I want them to invent, like, an extremely elaborate god of shiny jewelry and surgery. <laughs> How about you, Ken? What are you getting buried with when he comes for us? I always kind of wanted to go to a body farm. That's so noble and cool. I think it's mostly just going to be upsetting to my family, but, you know. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, your, your family isn't grim and medically inclined like the rest of us. <laughs> Here's the thing. We are grim and medically inclined, but some of them have, like, a limit on that. Yeah. (laughs) And I did not inherit the limit, so... (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, yeah, kind of the same. I just think of um, how one of the body farms discovered that deer will scavenge human corpses. That's kind of where I want to go. I want to get eaten by deer. Yeah, I was like, what a beautiful and special moment to be that that person's, the deceased person, to have that moment of like, what a scientific discovery, the beauty and savagery of nature. Like, what a special thing to be involved in. My body. Use it. Feed the deer. Oh God, we are God. <laughs> And on Tumblr, we have a question from MX Buster, who asks, What other books are on the we have to inflict these on people pile? (laughs) Oh, it's so fucking many. Do you have any? I mean, I have like a running list constantly to infect our sister podcast, Terrible Book Club. Check them out. I recently found a book about someone who develops a romantic and sensual relationship with an anthropomorphic door. They already read that one. They read that one. Oh, God. Ah, man. Did they do the balloon one? I'm pretty sure you sent them the balloon one. I think- Oh, my God. I'm running out. I feel like I've talked about the balloon one with them before. Oh, and I definitely sent them the sock shifter one. You did, yeah. In terms of, like, antique books, though, because I think MX Buster's (laughs) coming at this from the Varney the Vampire angle. Oh, You, uh, Ken, I think you've got a better grasp on that. What do you have? So it's going to take about another year or so to get through the remainder of Varney the Vampire. I swear you said that two years ago. Because I thought there were only 90 chapters and it turns out there are 200. I'm sorry. If I could do it again, I would be more honest about the numbers up front, but I would still do it. In a post-Varney world, I would like to get into another Penny Dreadful called The Mysteries of London because it gets referenced in Henry Mayhew's London Labor and London Poor, which was a 19th century survey of the working and impoverished classes in London, which has been a valuable resource because it is all like interviews with the people who are actually living this life and how they manage their households and how they survive from day to day which is fascinating. But also, in these novels, the working classes love Penny Dreadfuls, and they particularly love the mysteries of London because it gives them a scandalous and sensationalized view into the supposed aristocracy. I see. So it ends up fueling a lot of, like, class disparity unrest while also providing, like, kind of the same hit we get from reality TV today, like watching the Kardashians or whatever. (laughs) Just being like, oh... Look at these stupid idiot rich people ruining their own lives for no reason. And I think that's fun. Okay, okay. 
I do think that's fun, and I'm excited to start that in, let's just say, three years, because chances are more Varney chapters will pop up mysteriously, like we're living in analog horror. No more Varney chapters are going to pop up! <laughs> it's just 200, I promise! We are on a chapter 150 plus! We are on the home stretch. We've never been closer. How funny would it be if you did find another bank of chapters and you're just waiting to break it to me? There's no way. There's no fucking way. (laughs) (laughs) It's so funny. There can't be more. We will never be free. (laughs) Oh, God. I've also been stockpiling etiquette manuals and servants guides for another Gentleman's Club episode with Chris from Terrible Book Club. Oh, that is so fun. The struggle with that is it's just one episode per book. It's not like an episode per chapter like Varney. So I'm trying to find a book that is short so I don't have to put him through too much Victoriana at once. And now we have questions from Kenneth, your co-host. Oh, okay. How did you get your start in antiques? Oh, um, that's easy. Both my parents worked and I joined a Pokemon league when I was 10. <laughs> this is not where I thought the story <laughs> began! This all come together in about four seconds. I thought I knew the answer to this one already! <laughs> I was so far up! Okay, sure, yeah, Pokemon League, let's go! So I joined a Pokemon League for children to play Pokemon the card game, I was obsessed with it, but since both my parents worked, I went with my mother to her job so that she could drop me off at 12. And my mother's job was at New Bedford's premier antique store, New Bedford Antiques. It was just called that. It was run by my boss and later mentor, Felix, who was a wonderful man and a brilliant businessman. And they just sort of tolerated me hanging out there. You know, she would start at like nine and I would just hang out, sometimes sit down and read some of the books I found, talk to the other people who were just really excited to see a child in an antique store. (laughs) It's the simple things for some folk. And uh, over the years, I just started picking up a duster and dusting and like really paying attention when people talked to me about like the different stuff that I was finding that I thought was interesting. And when I turned 13, the boss offered me a job. Hey! Which was mostly just making sure people didn't steal and dusting and cleaning. And it like really went from there where I got better and better. I got better positions. You learned more and more on the job, just kind of like steeping in this industry for your entire adolescence. Yeah, basically. Like, so from 13 on, and yeah, you can work at 13. My parents signed a special paper. Yeah, I just kind of got to know the people and learned on the job. Um, I learned a ton about furniture from Donald. I became very physically fit for a few years when I was in the furniture section. And yeah, basically just being around antiques and the people who love them every weekend of my life until I was 30. (laughs) (laughs) Taught me a lot, and I have loved it ever since. Hell yeah. And that's how Pokemon got me a job, a career, and a passion. Pokemon can take you anywhere, kids. (laughs) (laughs) Drop out of school, play card games. (laughs) Play card games. Yu-Gi-Oh is going to get you there, I promise. I don't promise. Don't take financial advice from me. I'm an antiques dealer. What's the one thing you wish more people knew about antiques? Oh, that's a good question. That they're for everyone. Hell yeah. I think one of the things, and I think you can attest to this, one of the one of the statements we get a lot is that like people were really intimidated to be interested in antiques. It's like a big, confusing world. It's full of old, stuck-up people and rich people, and that's like super frightening. And of course, a lot of the stuff that you see, even when you just walk into an antique store, is very old-fashioned and stuck in the past and Really? Why? Yeah. <laughs> what what about the industry do you think lends to the merchandise being old? It does give people an old-fashioned feeling. I that's crazy, I know. <laughs> 
Hey, listen, it took, as someone who come out, came out from the other end, it took me years to realize that. In your defense, you were a literal child. <laughs> I like, well, like, even, even now, sometimes I'll show Casey, like, a beautiful, like, blue and white antique porcelain plate, and I'll be like, isn't this gorgeous? And she'll be like, it reminds me of my grandma, but yeah. And it's like, oh, everyone has, like, a different relationship to this stuff than I do. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, I think you're welcome, and frankly, everyone who's already into antiques wants you here. All of your silly questions, your beginner questions, and even if you're not, like, all the way into the aesthetic, if you want to start incorporating antique stuff in your, like, whimsical, cottagecore lifestyle, everyone's here for you, we want you there, and we're ready to help you. It's also like, you have the entire human history of material goods. There's gotta be something in here that strikes your fancy. <laughs> There's something you're gonna like. Uh, the other thing I wish people knew is, this is actually maybe like a complete 180 from when we started the podcast. You don't have to be too precious about antique furniture. It's okay. That is, in fact, a complete 180 from our previous position. Yeah, I... <laughs> I, I recognize that. And I, I apologize for my stayed views. And maybe I don't have to because Ken probably still holds them. <laughs> <laughs> the only furniture I consider precious is the furniture I want. True. Everything else can go is the thing. Like, I'm not this is very much a personal bias situation. I'm not just like, treasure everything. It belongs in a museum. Like, no, the museums don't want it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Make something useful out of it. Reduce, reuse, recycle. Go nuts. Exactly. I've, I've come around to the idea that, well, I do hold very, very steadfast to the idea that I want you to be careful. I want you to learn about a piece before you decide to do anything about it. Just kind of figure out what that piece's place in the world is to make sure that it isn't something it isn't something precious maybe not in a museum but certainly someone would want in their home unmolested but a lot of the stuff was mass-produced or there's just tons of it and if you're gonna do something to it that's gonna make you love it and keep it forever then do it and stop going on instagram and yelling at people who do it this goes like double for damaged pieces i've seen a ton of people rehab something that's already got like peeling veneer and stuff so they just peel off the rest of the veneer and do whatever and then they get yelled at for touching antiques that's no because no one was gonna buy it because it was damaged reduce reuse recycle absolutely we want to take the stuff we already have and make it work for us and hey who knows maybe maybe somewhere down the line after you're gone that thing's gonna be a beautiful piece that someone else cherishes and refuses to let anyone rehab hell yeah what are the biggest challenges you've experienced in the antiques industry? Uh, money. <laughs> <laughs> and that's the podcast. Good night. It's money. So join the Patreon. No. Um. <laughs> yeah, I think money is uh, like, it's. it seems like a really obvious answer, but I really do think it's like the biggest hurdle. Getting the nice stuff, getting the really like show worthy stuff. There's such a, like, a huge price tag on it. Getting into places to sell your stuff if you want to be a reseller is a lot of money. You know, you're, you're dealing with, if you're trying to do this as a hobby or a part-time job, you're trying to recoup $200, $300, $400 dollars a month, which means you've got to be on it constantly. Assuming you're, like, renting space in a store or a shop or even just an antiques mall. Yeah, yeah thank you, yeah, by renting a space. Which is, of course, why a lot of people have turned to the internet. And I think there's a lot of distrust being bred with consignment these days. And I don't blame people for not wanting to work with consigners, especially if, again, you're trying to turn this into like a, a hobby, side gig, part-time job thing. Consignment is really not getting you the most bang for your buck. So it's, it's just finding space. Finding the space to do what you want to do is really tough. Getting the stock is easy. You're going to go to like six yard sales and you're going to get the stock. But getting the space to sell it is rough. I, I think it's the hardest part. 
What advice do you have for folks just getting started in antiques? Oh, please don't get so excited. Uh, (laughs) I I think one of the biggest mistakes that beginners make is you get really excited. You're spiting items. You are flexing your brain muscles. You are so excited about all the stuff you learn and you overstock. You get too much stuff. Um, This is for resellers specifically, but it works for collectors too. I really want you to like bring a checklist about what, like the quality of items you want, the number of items you want, how much you're going to resell it for. If you're reselling it, where are you going to put it if you're keeping it? And I want you to be really, really selective with what you bring home because this is a very easy path to hoarding and the key to it is all is just getting excited. You get excited and you buy everything. I am so, so guilty of that. I just packed up like four boxes of stuff uh, that I just have no hope of selling because I got excited about it. I would say also don't stock anything you wouldn't be happy living with. Thank you. That the golden rule. I feel like we say it every episode, but every episode is someone's first episode. So we're going to keep saying it. (laughs) Do not buy anything to sell that you would not be happy living with in your house if it doesn't sell. Yeah. I encourage people who are resellers if to set up a shelf or a cabinet of sorts for the items that you're going to resell so that you do have to live with them. Let them enrich your life while they're with you before you sell them. And like that's going to be like a constantly rotating little cabinet or shelf, but it's going to be nice and it's going to give you a better grasp on what you value. And uh, if it sticks around for a particularly long time, if you're constantly swapping it out of your shop, um, it's going to give you a better sense of what people are actually willing to buy. Uh, Because if that blue vase keeps coming back into your fucking shelf, you're going to notice. And you should, if you're selling, you should be rotating at least monthly. Human beings are much like cats in that even if it's the same thing they saw three months ago, if it's in a new place, they will get excited about it. What's your favorite thing about antiques? What is it about antiques that keeps you in it and coming back for more? Two things. The community. I love the people I've met through antiques. So many interesting people with diverse backgrounds who are attached to it, usually usually through family, which leads to my second point, which is the connection to history. It's extremely special. Thinking of yourself as like a safeguarder or like a, a keeper of these historical objects that were important to people throughout history. You know, when I hold even like a surgical implement, like I think about maybe that helped someone or saved someone's life. And maybe this traveled through a, a surgeon's family, which I could say about a couple because they've got a surname on them. It does make you feel like a cool elf surrounded by your treasures of the past that you're keeping until they find their home, in my case. Or maybe you are their home and you are keeping them safe and beautiful and loving them uh, until their next journey. That's beautiful. Like museums are, of course, like the backbone of history and historians. But like, I think people who love antiques are a part of that, especially when it comes to the day-to-day stuff that won't ever be stored in a museum. That's very cool. Most of my stuff that I use is antique or vintage. It feels good to, you know, I'm going to say again, reduce, reuse, recycle. There's a lot of stuff that I don't buy new because I like antiques. And, uh, you know, lowering your consumption is good for everyone, including you. And honestly, in a lot of cases, antiques is cheaper than new. (laughs) And antiques is better than new. My whole pot set right now, Revereware, I paid $3 a pot and they are non-stick without having any chemicals. Wonderful. They've been around for 70 years and they're going to be around for 70 more. Well-made, long-lasting, cheap and easy to acquire. We love to see it. We really do. What do you love about podcasting? I love being able to hang out with my best bud. Aww, this was such a loaded question. <laughs> I mean, that's my fucking, that's my fucking real answer, you bitch. <laughs> I mean, no, that is, a, that is a genuine answer. I think sometimes discussions come up on this podcast that we just plain old would not have had in real life. 
Like, I don't think you'd ever have discovered that I sometimes keep scoops of peanuts in my hand while I go about my business. I never would have, no. Yeah. <laughs> like, it just, that would have just been a mystery between us forever if we didn't have the podcast. Um... <laughs> The other thing that I really love is all of the other people who've talked to us because of the podcast, um, like the Antiques Freaks Friends group. Yeah. It's been so much fun. I get so excited when someone asks me about something I don't know about because now I get to learn. I have been exposed to so many other viewpoints. I think it made me like mid-century. It's just really expanded my worldview and it's just awesome to know other people. And to get other people excited and to help them learn stuff sometimes. It does give me the warm fuzzies whenever someone says, oh, I got into antiques because of the podcast. Honestly, I get a little like teary because it's like, oh, fuck, you're going to love it here, man. I'm so glad. What goals do you hope to accomplish with the podcast and or in antiques in the future? Okay, this is going to sound so stupid. I want to be sponsored by Raid Shadow Legends. (laughs) Yeah, dude? I want a big sponsor that everyone makes fun of for our podcast. (laughs) I was about to say there's no such thing as a stupid answer, but I think you found it, dude. (laughs) It's the stupidest answer. I think you found it. (laughs) (laughs) You, You can't tell me you haven't been sort of dreaming about a dumb sponsor. I want to be able to say this podcast is sponsored by Ray Shadow Legends. Hey, real talk never crossed my mind. Just you. <laughs> it's like the best option because so many other sponsors are products that I like disagree with or are like unethical. But Rage Shadow Legends is just a video game. It's just teaching children to gamble. It's fine. Well, that's teaching adults to gamble. Uh, or also Bombus Socks hit me up. I do like your product. Uh, <laughs> honestly, though, um, goals for the podcast. I just want to get into more stuff that I'm afraid to get into. Um, there's some topics that I'm nervous about because I don't want to get it wrong. Actually, I was just doing a little bit of research into Limoges is one of them. It is like a huge, big, branching topic. It's very confusing for everyone, including me. And, I, and I'm kind of just afraid to do it because I don't want to talk out my ass. But um, I think I've gracefully accepted correction in the past and I just need to embrace that and do it. Yeah. For antiques, I want to get into a shop and start selling in real life. The internet is cool and all, but there is something really fun about maintaining like a booth in a reseller shop, a group shop that I miss and I want to get back into it. I think it's also like there's a limit to what kinds of antiques you can sell online just because of shipping. Yeah, like I I love glassware, but obviously I can't ship most of that. And like we can't sell furniture or anything like bigger than a bread box. <laughs> Yeah. Well, even a bread box, I would cringe if I had to sell that online. If you would like to see the kind of stuff we are willing to sell online, you can check out our Etsy at etsy.com slash shop slash antiques freaks. Yeah, we'll be getting a revamp now that I'm out of surgery. Yeah. By the way, congrats on the surgery. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) If you were wondering why we had so many light episodes recently. Yeah, uh, that's, I, yeah, I'm I'm now a couple weeks out of surgery. I'm feeling normal again, so... Uh, one more goal for the podcast. I've been teaching myself to use Illustrator. More merch. We're going to make more and stupider merch. Hell yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I had like a dream that um, that we made a podcast brand shirt that had a little pocket that literally said that it was for your handful of peanuts. <laughs> and I, and like, I don't think we should practically make that because no one will like it, but it, that was a funny idea. <laughs> I mean, you're right on both counts. <laughs> We absolutely should not do that, but it is fun. Uh, (laughs) 
about you, Ken? You got any questions, thoughts, or concerns? Honestly, my plans for the podcast are just more horrible Victorian nonsense. Yeah, you know, I was thinking about that too. We gotta, we gotta go Victorian or bust. If you have a question you'd like to ask us, a topic you'd like to suggest, or just want to say hello, you can email us directly, antiquesfreakspodcast at gmail.com. You can post in our Facebook group, Antiques Freaks Friends. You can tag us on Tumblr, antiquesfreaks.tumblr.com. Or you can check out our Instagram at instagram.com slash antiquesfreaks. If you liked hearing about all of my cool merch ideas and Raid Shadow Legends, feel free to scroll on down to wherever you're listening to this podcast and leave us a five-star review. Uh, you might say... Hey, how come you guys aren't being sponsored by Bombus Sucks? I'm going to give them an email right now. Five stars. We received a lovely review from Cha Cha Chandler 2023. Ooh, I like that. Who said, so funny and educational. Aw. I came across this podcast and fell in love with the concept and Ken and D. I skipped some podcasts based on hating host voices, but I love them. It doesn't matter if I'm into the item or not. I still listen and learn and laugh. They're never dry and boring like some people doing similar stuff. Thanks, keep up the good work. And while we don't approve of nagging other podcasts, we do appreciate your support. No, I mean, you can nag some of them. (laughs) (laughs) That's so sweet. That made me feel so warm and fuzzy. And if you need more Antiques Freaks in your week, you can check out our Patreon at patreon.com slash antiquesfreaks, where every week we read and review a chapter of the Victorian Penny Dreadful, Varney the Vampire, The Feast of Blood. I swear to God, it's almost done. I promise. (laughs) Only one more year. (laughs) Special thanks to our patrons for paying our hosting fees and filling our hearts with love. So much love. And thank you in particular for listening. That's right. You. Au revoir. Goodbye.